be in Judges 13 today, and we're going to be looking at the life of Samson this morning. Samson is a fascinating character that uh, some of us might remember from our Bible classes that we had as kids. That We saw those lessons, we remember some of the stories, and we have some things that we remember about him. We might remember his long hair, or maybe his strength that was unique to Samson. Uh, we often remember people from the Bible for some of the most impressive things that they do. Um, sometimes, you know, we forget that people made mistakes and sinned. You know, that people were flawed, and we just remember the good things. Or, vice versa, we remember all the bad things that someone did, and we don't remember that they actually did something good in their lives. Unfortunately, Samson is one of those people where we remember a lot of the sins of his life, despite the great strength he had through God. So today we're going to walk through the life of Samson, we're going to see his story, and at the end we're going to have some practical lessons for us. So follow along in your Bibles with me. We're going to read some sections because his story spans from chapter 13 to chapter 16. So we won't read everything today, but we're going to summarize some other sections and you'll be able to look down and refer to your text as we go through. Now remember, Judges is a book about the immorality of Israel. They have failed to follow God all the way through the book. There are occasional people that God raises up, judges, that he picks up and uses for leadership to deliver the people of Israel, from the surrounding nations. And even those leaders have questionable faith throughout the book. It is a struggle sometimes to read through Judges and you just dismay. Is there anything left that shows God's people love him? Samson fits in that trend in the book of Judges. But Samson is unique as a judge in the book because Samson is the only judge with a birth story. Read with me in chapter 13 starting in verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for forty years. There was a certain man of Zoah from the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his children was barren and had no his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful, and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So in this story, we get to see the birth of Samuel. We get to see him uh, promised as a child to his parents. And in this, there is a theme that happens throughout Scripture that we can see, that Samson comes from a barren mother. I mean, this might, you know, bring up some memories for you from different Bible stories and different generations of people throughout the story of the Bible. I mean, the promises to Abraham start here. Sarah was a barren woman. Rebecca, uh, Rachel, and of course, later we're going to see it in Hannah with Samuel. I mean, there is a problem with having children all the way throughout, and then we have... This woman, too. 
this unnamed mother of Samson. I mean, she's an image of the lack of hope of Israel. God is about to show that he can bring about salvation to Israel from the most unlikely places. The son of a barren woman who will struggle with selfishness all the way through his life is the savior of Israel. Israel's in a tough spot. But God can use even the most desperate situations and bring about salvation. We don't know much about Samson's parents, an unnamed barren mother, and Manoah, a father who we don't know much about besides what tribe they're from, from Dan. But they are promised a child, a child with purpose. So Samson was supposed to be a Nazarite. The word Nazarite simply means devoted to God. They are set apart. They are different. They are unique. And they are unique because of the way that their lives look different. I mean, they're they're natural differences from other people. For one, Samson's hair was not supposed to be cut. He was supposed to have long hair throughout his life. So he looked different from everyone else. And two, he's not supposed to drink wine or strong drink. He lived different. He even ate different from other people. Samson was supposed to be holy, set apart, devoted to the Lord. He's supposed to lead the people in this way and be devoted to God throughout his days. But, you know, it's fascinating to me that about this, we have a picture of Samson having this call where he's not even present. He has this expectation for his life of what he's going to look like, what he's going to live like, how he's going to be devoted to God, and his parents are involved in making the promises for him. That's very unique for how God calls people in the Bible. Um, But notice how good his parents are throughout the text here. And verses 1 through 7, I mean, this unnamed mother recognizes the angel is a man of God. I mean, and then she doesn't keep it to herself. She goes and she tells her husband, Manoah. She makes sure that she is bringing the good news. In verse 8, when Manoah hears, Manoah prayed to the Lord. Uh, Manoah welcomes the angel back with a meal later on in the chapter. And then after the angel leaves, Manoah sees that this indeed was an angel of the Lord. He's convinced of the fact that this messenger is from God. And the the chapter ends with Manoah offering a sacrifice to the Lord. I mean, he's a God-focused man. He's a man who sees this and cares about this. Just for fun, this story has a lot of similarities to Abraham. I mean, Abraham is married to a barren woman, Sarah. They encounter an angel that comes and promises the birth of a child. They invite that angel in, well, three angels in their case, unknowing that they are God's angels. And then once those angels leave, they recognize that they were angels, just like Manoah did. So that would mean Samson has Isaac-like similarities. He's almost like the child of promise, if we're continuing along that thought. There's going to be more Isaac similarities in our next chapter, if you'll keep that in your mind. But we'll see how Samson's kind of the anti-child of promise. He is the failure to be what Isaac ended up being. And beyond this point, Samson's parents are not involved much. Uh, Perhaps that's part of the downfall of Samson. Uh, I've neglected to click my PowerPoints, and now that's behind me. Perhaps this is part of the downfall of Samson. He clearly has God-fearing parents, and yet throughout our next few chapters, he does everything his own way as he grows up. 
One important thing to notice before we go into chapter 14 is look at verse 25. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in this place between Zorah and Eshtael. Samson is impacted by the Spirit of the Lord. He has a different life, not just because he is special in and of himself, but because God has chosen him and God uses him for his purposes. That's going to come up again and again and again in this uh, section of, of Samson's life. So from here, we get to see what Samson's purpose is, how he uses it, and how he misuses it. So let's keep going. In chapter 14, we get the story of Samson's marriage and his wedding. Um, let's read in verse 14, verses 1 through 4. By the way, it's interesting. Samson's life begins and, well, story of his life here begins and ends with a woman who causes him trouble. That's a theme that goes throughout his life. 1 through 4. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that this was from the Lord, for God was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines, because at that time the Philistines ruled over Israel. I read that last verse just so we can see. God is using all of this. He's behind all of this. He is planning all of this to defeat the Philistines. So keep an eye out for the Spirit of the Lord filling Samson. That's part of God's plan all the way through this, even if it starts to get a little bit disturbing at points. But what's the problem with Samson's desire here and wanting to marry this woman? I mean, verse 3 kind of puts it very plainly. She is right in my eyes. Do you remember what the last verse of Judges says? There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Even the leaders of Israel, the judges that are called up, are guilty to this same sin. And in fact, what Samson is saying here is the same thing Eve says in the garden when she sees the fruit. It looks good to me, right? We're ready to take that sin on for ourselves because we are doing what is right in our own eyes. You know, this is something that not only was it wrong for the way he says it, but it's wrong from the law perspective of what he is doing. Because he's taking a woman from the uncircumcised Philistines. They were not permitted to marry with anyone from the nations. I mean, that invited idolatry and sin into their lives and caused issues every time it happens. And a leader of God's people is doing it here. So, uh, notice... In this, what does the text call his parents in this section? It's no longer Manoah and his mother. Now it's just his father and his mother. They're taking a back seat in the story. They're being forgotten, pushed out of the way. Samson is no longer honoring father and mother. He is doing things his own way. God or Samson does not listen to his parents that have at least some respect for who God is. He only thinks about what he wants, and he puts himself first. There's a lesson for us to stop here and, and notice that we really need to listen to our godly parents. They know what we're doing. They see what we're doing. They have advice that is helpful and useful. They have wisdom that we can take and learn from. 
They give all good guidance to godly people. And in this, there's more Abraham reference. There's Abraham reference for us because remember back in Genesis chapter 24, Abraham asks Isaac not to find a wife from the uncircumcised. He wants to make sure that he finds a godly wife that God would be pleased with. So on the other hand, Samson goes and finds someone who is a Philistine for himself. Abraham takes the initiative in finding Rebekah for Isaac. He sends a servant to make sure that Rebekah could be found and brought back for Isaac. Samson, on the other hand, goes and picks out his wife for himself that looks good to him. Rebekah is found through a sign from God. You know, she's the one that gave a drink to Abraham's servant, and not only to the servant, but also to the camels, that this is someone that they had prayed for and looked for. Samson saw her, and she looked good to him. And that was the end of that. The story of Samson is intended to show us how far the people have fallen from the promises of Abraham. This life of faith that had been described in their generations before, forgotten, neglected. Samson is almost the anti-child of promise here in Judges. But even still, he is chosen by God and given to the people of Israel. But he's not quite the leader they should be looking for. In the rest of the chapter, Samson shows us his character. He's going down to see his Philistine, uh, I guess, fiancé at this point. That's a mouthful, Philistine fiancé. And uh, along the way, he kills a lion. And what the text says is he tears the lion like you would a young goat. And I'm so glad it gives that, you know, description because that helps us put it in our own minds. If I, I know exactly what that's like. But uh, we have this strength of Samson shown for us yet again, where Samson is someone who is to be reckoned with. I mean, he kills a lion like it's nothing. And as he's going back home, he passes by this dead lion on the ground, and honey has been made in it by local bees. And so what Samson does is he reaches in the lion and scoops out some honey and starts to eat it. So what's the problem with that? I mean, first of all, gross, right? Second of all, I mean, of course, according to the law, this is unclean. You're not supposed to do this kind of thing. Samson has no regard for what Moses has taught. He has no interest in what he should be doing. And furthermore, he takes some of the honey home and unknowingly gives it to his parents. His parents have no clue that this is dead lion honey, and they have eaten it themselves. Samson is a mess. And then... Once it's time for the wedding feast, he goes on to tell a riddle. He tells a riddle about how this all came to be. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? That's his riddle at his wedding feast. He's trying to trick people and uh, make this steep bet. 30 pieces of clothing that I will pay if you can get this. And if you can't, you have to pay me that. So the guests then enlist the help of his new wife to try and figure out the answer to this riddle. They are using her against him. So an important question to ask is, who are these guests? What, what nationality are they? Well, these are Philistines. They have uh, gone, he has gone down, in verse 10, to the woman to prepare a feast. They're eating with the Philistines, feasting with them, celebrating with them, joining with them, when Samson was supposed to be called up to deliver Israel from them. He is going the absolute opposite direction from what he should be. 
And these Philistines, they go to the bride and ask for her help. Read with me in verses 15 through 20. We'll see what happens here. He said to them, this is the riddle, out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. That's the riddle. I'm sorry, I read the solution. I gave you the end before the beginning. And in three days they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? So Samson's wife wept over him and, only, uh, and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told my father nor my mother, and shall I tell you? She wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted. And on the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down thirty men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Yikes, right? This is a, a, a scary wedding feast. This is not how anyone imagines their wedding day to go. Uh, the wife of Samson betrays him. Uh, and keep that in your mind because this is going to be a parallel story again in chapter 16. So at the end, we see Samson angry and totally out of control. And yet, verse 19, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. So here are the things he does. He calls his new wife a heifer. Uh, that's not good. Uh, he kills 30 people, goes down to another Philistine area and destroys 30 people and takes their clothes so that he might pay the bet that he had made with the Philistines here. Samson sheds blood. Things are not going well, and to make it worse, his new wife has been given in marriage to his best man. That's going to come back in the next chapter. Samson's sounding like a good spiritual leader so far, right? Well, not so much. And it's going to get worse. Chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. After some days, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber, but her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I th really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. Samson no longer hates his new wife that had betrayed him. He goes back to try and have a relationship with her. And he tries to make things right by giving her a young goat, which I guess is meaningful in their culture. And her dad, bless his heart, says, I thought you hated her. We gave her away to your best man. Like She had to be married on that day for her honor's sake. Go marry your younger sister. That's the best I can do. So Samson responds by going to the Philistines again. Now this time, instead of going in with feasting, he goes in violently. He destroys their crops by catching foxes and catching them on fire so they would run through the crops and catch everything on fire throughout. Now, that is a level of vindictiveness that I don't think I could ever aspire to. Catching that many foxes and catching them on fire would take a lot of work. So, Samson fights against the Philistines, and the Philistines respond. We're going to see escalation time and time again at this point. 
because they burn his wife and her father at the stake. He burns their crops, they burn his wife. Things are ugly in Israel because even the leader of Israel is in uh, a relationship with the Philistines. And so Samson is going to shed even more blood now. Things are going at light speed here with how fast this is escalating. It escalates more and more. So the Philistines attack Judah to avenge Samson even more. And the people of Judah are like, we had nothing to do with this. Why are you attacking us? So they agree to come find Samson. And Samson agrees for them to bind him with new ropes and take him in to the Philistines. He says, I won't attack you. You're my countrymen. Bind me and take me to them. And we notice that at that point, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him again, and he breaks free of the ropes, kills a thousand of them with a, what's called a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Uh, I love that it says he found it. Either there's a very recently dead donkey uh, laying there nearby, or he took it from a live donkey and killed people with it. Samson is unlike anything we've ever seen before in his ability to fight and to use his strength against the Philistines. I mean, it's shocking how he can use his strength. So Samson and the Philistines are now definitely against each other. There's no more feasting. There is only fighting. He is no longer aligned with them. And here, we get to notice maybe something good about Samson. Read with me in verse 18 of chapter 15. Now, he's just killed a thousand people. And so this is, the, I guess, the next natural step. And he was very thirsty. And he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi. And water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called in Hakor. It is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Here Samson calls upon the Lord. We have a moment where we can say, look, he's doing the right thing. He's calling upon the Lord. He's judging the people of Israel for 20 years. Things are finally going well. I mean, it's almost like Samson started to have a different relationship with God when he actually was fulfilling the purpose that God had planned for him. He was called to be a defeater of the Philistines, and once he started defeating the Philistines, he had a better relationship with God. So Samson turned it around, right? He's a good guy now, no longer struggling. Well, chapter 16, verse 1. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went in to, to her. So... The text immediately stops us in our tracks and says, not so fast. Samson has not quite figured it out. He is not the leader we need. He is not the Samuel we're hoping for. And so this prostitute in Gaza sets up a trap for Samson. Uh, they know it's Samson, so they surround Samson and try and take him by force. And Samson fights his way out of the city so much so that he carries the gates of the city with him out on his escape, and he is free. Samson's strength is um, always overcoming people, and it's a mystery. And that takes us to the end of Samson's story. Samson shows his down downfall through Delilah. Now, Delilah might be the most famous part of Samson's life. Uh, she was the woman who uh, repeats his new bride story, and we see that again. You know, Samson's reputation for women is now his downfall, and his relationship with idolatrous women is his downfall yet again. 
This part of Samson's life is most likely how he's best remembered. I mean, his strength is a mystery at this point. He's been hiding the source of his strength, or maybe rather the condition of his strength of his hair. Um, But he is now with Delilah, and she is persistent. Read with me in verses 15 through 17. Listen and see if this sounds familiar. And she said to him, How can I say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, and his soul was vexed to death. And he told her uh, all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and my, I shall become weak like any other man. Three times he had lied to her and told her a different solution. Three times the Philistines had tried it and three times Samson routed them and took them out. But here he finally gives in. Sounds just like his wife from chapter 15, doesn't it? He's making the same mistakes. And so, once he tells her of the Nazarite vow... The Philistines come in, they cut off his hair, they take him, they gouge out his eyes, and they enslave him. Ugly picture. And so we have the death of Samson in front of us. The Philistines have Samson chained up in the middle of one of their temples. They're in the uh, celebrating to Dagon their god for their victory over their tormentor Samson. And Samson calls out to the Lord again. The prayer is a strange one. I mean, it's not quite what you would hope for from a godly leader of God's people. His prayer is essentially this. Give me strength for vengeance because of my eyes. How would you feel praying that to God? Give me the strength that I can kill these people because they've wronged me. That's what Samson is. That's the godliest prayer that he can come up with in his weakness. But God grants it. And one more time, the Spirit of the Lord rushes on him. He pulls down the building on all the Philistines in the house, killing them and fulfilling the purpose God has for him. It's not quite a pretty picture of the life of Samson, is it? The life of Samson is complicated. He's a man who's selfish. He's a man who is sinful. But he is called by God. He does defeat the Philistines like a judge should do for Israel. But the way he does it is not a way where he is set apart, devoted to the Lord as a Nazarite was supposed to be. So what can we learn from Samson? I mean, the first lesson is God can use anyone. Uh, Anytime we read this story of his life, we can't help but think, was there not anyone else in all of Israel that could have been used for this purpose? Was Samson really the best there was to offer? Well, maybe not. But God can even use Samson for his purposes. So, if God can use Samson, then God can use us, can't he? We're sinful, flawed people, people who struggle. We may not have lived lives quite like Samson, not quite as intense and as uh, raucous in the way that he sins. But we share some of the same temptations that he had. We struggle with anger, selfishness, lust, or pride. Samson is an example for us of what our temptations can look like if we fail to control our passions. And God shows us that he can use sinful people to fulfill his purposes and to bring them closer to him. Second, vengeance is mine is, the, is almost the mantra of Samson. 
Samson's life is ugly because he cares so much about defending his own honor, making it right by his eyes, and fixing everything with violence. We may not avenge like that in our lives. At least I hope not. Um, I hope you don't have a donkey jaw lying around somewhere in your house. But we can try and act on our own without considering God. We need to keep his will and his purpose in our minds first before we start our own way. So when we act in our lives, we need to consider God's will for us before we go making plans to do things our own way. Third, be careful who you trust. Samson's downfall is often because he is close intimately with sinners, people who have no desire to serve the Lord. In fact, he was commanded not to be with those women in the law. Now, we have relationships with sinners in our world. It's unavoidable for work and life. And Jesus calls us to be lights in darkness among sinners. But we need to be careful that our hope is not in our relationships with them. Those things can be fleeting. We need to be careful about who we trust when they have different thoughts about God. Because we can be influenced more than we realize. We can be harmed more than we realize. So... We need to value the relationships that we have with the people who are going to bring us closer to God. And finally, last thing here, we all have talents. We need to use those talents for God rather than self. Samson is undeniably talented. He has strength that is unparalleled, and yet almost everything he uses his strength for is himself. Here instead, we need to learn to use our talents to give God the glory to put him first and to make sure that he is glorified with what he's supposed to do. So whatever you're good at, make sure that you are glorifying God with what you do. Do not be overcome with pride, but instead with God's purpose. We serve a great God who can redeem anyone. We serve a God who can use anyone. So our question for today as we end our lesson is, will you let him use you? So to encourage to live God, uh, us to live our lives to God completely and to follow Him, we're going to sing a song together. Let's stand as we sing.